0: But I was uh, looking at um, an article from Voice of the Martyrs this morning. It was a new uh, magazine that was mailed to me. And one of the uh, articles in it says, Turkey is kicking out Christians one by one. More than 50 Christians have been expelled from Turkey in the past 18 months in an ongoing campaign to clear the country of Christian influence. This man's wife, her name is Joy, she filled out the paperwork to renew her residency permit as she had for, for years But when she and her husband met with an immigration official on June 5th of 2020, he informed them that Joy's residency permit had been denied. Her husband could see the file on the man's desk specifying that the rejection was because of national security concerns. We're starting to hear of that in our own nation concerning Christians. Uh, And there are a lot of, quote, Christians that are not necessarily a good representation of a Christian. But in the name of Christianity, there are a lot of, we'll say, security concerns that our government has. But I also believe that whenever you are just by title called a Christian, we all kind of get lumped into the mix. We all become part and essence of that threat. We haven't experienced it that much in our country. I think we're on the cuff of seeing more to come. And as I was thinking we're starting this first epistle of Peter this morning. We're actually only going to be looking at two verses. There's a lot of thoughts that I had leading into this book, just reading it and reading the letter and considering what the times were at the time that Peter wrote this letter. What did it look like for the church then? And what does it look like for the church today? That we're living in now. As I normally do, I, I usually try to put a title to my message. The first one that I had put down was the value of trials, persecution, and suffering. That's, a, I think, an appropriate title for this letter. But then as I was studying, another one came to my mind, our faith will be tested. And then a third one came and it was, are you ready? Are you ready? So I really didn't attach any one of these titles, I guess we'll say all three of them we can attach to this introduction uh, to Peter's letter. I read to you from the voice of the martyrs because I think in light of what we're going to look at this morning, even in this introduction, it's important for us to realize as Christians that, and especially Christians in America, we're not exempt from persecution. We're not exempt from trials, and tribulations, and persecutions, and sufferings that would come our way. Many faithful Christians have experienced that through the many years of the church. But whenever we read the book, or a book of the Bible, it's always a good practice for you when you're starting a book, to find out what the theme is. Why did the particular writer write what he wrote? What was the main thought of the writer as he sat down and began to write a letter and put yourself in that position? You're writing a letter to a particular group of people or to a church, and there's something normally that prompts you. and and motivate you, and obviously the Holy Spirit was the motivator in this, but for Peter to sit and to write this letter to the churches. What's so amazing to me is that God's Word is just as applicable today as it was then. We read these letters and it applies it particularly applies to us here as Christians in America, even though we have not yet, really, as a nation, experienced great persecution against the church. We're starting to see more of that coming our way. But often when Christians they read their Bibles, sometimes they think we read it like it's a history lesson like we're simply looking back in history and we're reading about the persecuted church in the early days. We're reading about the testings of their faith. And all the while, we're not realizing that the persecution and the suffering of the early church is happening more today in other countries in greater ways than it ever has in history. And so the reality of persecution and suffering and trials is not anything that was just part of a history lesson. You see, we need to be growing in our understanding in our awareness. We need to be awake as Christians to what's going on around us. Because I believe that looking at 20 and 2021 looking ahead that we're going to see a more intense type of persecution that's going to come against the church and against Christians in America I was reading another article from Open Doors Open Doors is a ministry to the persecuted church around the world and it read this way It may be surprising, but Christian persecution around the world is one of the biggest human rights issues of this era. You see, we're removed from a lot unless you watch your news, unless you're really keeping touch. We lose touch with the fact that there are believers around the world that are suffering greatly for their faith. Another ministry called Church in Need. This is what they wrote. The persecution of Christians is on the rise worldwide. 300 million Christians around the world are suffering persecution. One out of every seven Christians lives in a country where they suffer from some form of of persecution. Eleven of the top persecuting countries around the world today, they have groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. And then there's Kim Jong-un the Hindu nationalists in the country of India, Al-Shabaab, Boko Haram, the Faluni herdsmen. There's radical Islam. There's the drug cartels. And there's the Chinese Communist Party that are all suppressing their people and the religious rights of the people, killing Christians for their faith. I mean, think about it. How many of us knew of any of these groups, maybe with the exception of communist China, how many of us really knew of these names and these groups until recently? I mean, this is something that is on the rise. We're seeing it. We're living it. We're seeing it happen around the world. And and it should cause us to pray as Christians. You see, if you want to get really connected with what's going on, just get onto one of these websites. Get in and start looking at what they're writing about persecution around the world. You can go on to opendoorsusa.org and you can get the World Watch list. You can see a list of 50 different nations around the world where there's persecution going on. Eleven of those countries are considered extreme persecution against Christians. Peter, in this first letter, he writes in 1 Peter 4.12 He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the Word of God. I thank you for giving us heads up about the things to come. About the days that we're living in. Lord, your church is dependent upon you. You're the one that empowers us. You're the one that gives us boldness. You're the one that gives us everything we need to make us stand in a world that is Becoming more and more hostile towards Christians. And they're really more hostile towards Christians because they're hostile towards You. And Lord, we know, Lord, that our calling as Christians is to be a witness for You. To not let the things of this world cause us to shrink back in fear, but that we would become even more bold in taking this Gospel to our world. And we thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As Christians, our our goal, and I hope this is your goal, our desire as Christians should be one of finishing well. We should have a desire of running the race to the end. Growing in patience and endurance is what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to stand fast. To be unmovable. We're called to put on the whole armor of God in light of the spiritual battles that rage around us. We're called to watch and to pray. We're called to resist the devil and the trickery of our enemy. We're called not to be conformed to this world. And we're called to do all of this with gladness. And we're to do it with exceeding joy. I mean, that just doesn't sound logical, does it? It doesn't sound like something we should be called to do. But you see, the Lord is glorified in our lives when we endure suffering as a believer, we do it for His namesake. Is why we do it. And it brings glory to our God. How many saints have been martyred for their faith? And those onlookers couldn't help but hear words out of their mouth or see how they reacted in the face of death. And it brought glory to God. We're living in a world right now that I think Christians, the testing of their faith, is going to do one of two things. It's either going to cause us as believers to either grab hold of our Lord in a greater, tighter way Lord, I need you. Or we're going to look at the circumstances around us and we're going to retreat. Jesus told <clears throat> excuse me his disciples early on in ministry in Matthew chapter 5 verse 10 He says blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake That's key to remember Those that are persecuted for righteousness sake living for the Lord living for what's right and making stances against moral stances as Christians for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. And then he says this to his disciples. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is Your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before You. We have a lot of history before us. We have a lot of history to look back on of how the church suffered greatly. But we're not exempt. Peter wrote in this first letter in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuine, here it is, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That our faith, though it be tested by fire, sounds intense to me. It doesn't just sound like having a bad day. It sounds like intense trials, persecution, and suffering. You see, that's the backdrop as Peter is writing this letter. You see, uh, understanding what's going on in the times as the letter was being written is significant to how Peter was writing here. Whoever told you that being a Christian would be an easy walk? Hopefully, no one ever told you that. Because it's not true. Being a Christian will bring at times great suffering. We're not exempt from the trials and tribulations of life. The only difference is we have Jesus. We have everything we need to endure. And 1 Peter 1.13, Peter says, therefore, he says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When our Lord returns, what state are we gonna be in? Where's your mind gonna be when the Lord comes back? When all of a sudden, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you're standing face to face, so to speak, with the Lord? Where's your mind gonna be? How will you be living? in the days that we're living in. In this first letter, Peter is writing to a persecuted church. In his second letter, and we'll get to that, he gives the church promises. He gives the church reminders. He gives the church assurance and also a prophetic word concerning the day of the Lord. Peter was preparing the church for things to come. He's preparing this church, us as believers, for the things to come. In this first letter of Peter, we see Peter writing, a letter of hope. He's writing this letter of hope for the people of God who are in the midst of suffering. And their faith being tested by fire. They needed to be encouraged. But He needed to give them some practical application also. How should we as Christians living in a fallen world, living in a world that has much suffering in it, and even persecution that's coming, how should we be living in a world like that? Peter addresses that. You see, relationships are under attack. They always have been. But relationships are how you act with your employer, How you act with your spouse. You see, even within persecution, there's persecution that comes from within, and there's persecution that comes from without. It's all around us. And there are things that we as Christians are going to experience. It may be that you'll never hang on a cross. You'll never be burnt at a stake. But you will suffer in some form if you live for Jesus Christ. If you open your mouth for Him. If you're an example, even in your own home. If you speak the truth. If you say what's right and what's wrong. It's guaranteed that you will suffer some form of persecution Jesus warned His disciples in Matthew chapter 10. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. What a picture. Therefore, be wise as serpents. I'll add Christians. And harmless as doves. Be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you shall speak. For it will be given you in that hour what you shall speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Excuse me. (laughs) He says, now, and listen to this, now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for My namesake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, then flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of His household. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known." Encouraging words from our Lord as He was sending out His disciples to be a witness in this world. If you open your mouth for Jesus Christ, you could expect that these things will come. As I was preparing to teach these letters, these two letters, as I read through them, it became very evident to me of the timing of these letters for our church. I I think it's good timing for our church as we enter into 2021 would you agree just watch and look what's coming ahead and the question is how prepared are we you know i don't want to be an alarmist because there's a, you know somebody might tag somebody as an alarmist if they if they're just trying to over exaggerate what the days are like that we're living in. There's a lot of brothers and sisters around this world that are uh, experiencing hostility at a lot of different levels around our world. People are becoming more intolerant of you. I don't know if you know that. They don't like who you live for, who you stand for. They don't like the fact that you even refer to yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian. But I believe that Christians are going to have their faith tested in greater ways in 2021. But the question is, that we could all ask ourselves are, are you ready? Are you ready for what's going to come in our own nation? In America? Are you ready for the persecution and the harassment that's going to come your way? And I started thinking about that question, are you ready to myself and I thought, that's a hard question. Am I ready? And I think it's, it's kind of like asking a young married couple that's going to have their first child. Are you ready? And in, their, and in their mind, they're thinking, I don't know if I'm ready. I, I won't know until it's here. Until that baby is born. And in a sense, because we haven't experienced a lot of persecution in America, serious persecution. When we ask ourselves the question, are we ready? We might be saying, I don't know. I haven't really experienced that much. But I still think it's a good question. Are we ready? But I think it's with the warning signs that we see in Scripture. It's what we're going to read in First Peter in this first letter that should prepare us for what's to come. And not just first, Peter, but just read your Bible. Read the book of Acts and read the other places in scripture where Christians suffered for Christ. One article that I read dated July 13th of 2020 it was from Christian Headlines. It read this way: Persecution is coming, but don't lose heart. The pillars of conservative Christianity are being shaken. And it's giving many American believers the jitters, leaving us asking, what's coming next? As America adopts moral relativism as its cultural worldview, Christians are finding themselves increasingly marginalized and in the minority. Frequently on the defensive against anti-christian bias, including accusations of hate and bigotry, where Christianity once occupied the seat at the head of of the American table, now it's increasingly denied any seat at any table. This is evident in America's leading opinion, shaping institutions like our universities, our media, our government, our entertainment, and even in athletics. And I'll add to that in our social media platforms. Christians are being watched. You're being watched. And as Christians, we need to be aware. Peter writes in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. You see, that should be our mindset in the days that we're living. We need to be aware. We need to be watchful. We need to be praying praying much. Another article from Samaritan's Purse, the ministry of Franklin Graham, it reads this way, persecuted Christians, USA. Christians are being targeted for standing for their beliefs. You see, that's what makes the difference. If you make a stand for Jesus Christ, then you'll be targeted. If you stay quiet, if you stay very reserved, kind of keep to yourself about your faith, you probably won't experience much. But I would say that you're probably walking close to the world also. And we need to be careful that we're not walking close to the world. Looking so much like the world, that nobody would even know whether we're a Christian or not. Another ministry called Belief Net, it wrote this, while Christian persecution is widely recognized in other countries, most do not realize the persecution happening right at home. Persecution in politics, Persecution on college campuses. And persecution in public schools. You see, our young people, our young adults, our kids, and especially those that are in public school and are at university, they're under attack. Under attack greatly for their faith. It's causing many of our young people to retreat from being bold enough to make a stand. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for our own kids. It's the generation that's coming behind us. And will they be ready? You see, if you're a Christian living in one of the 11 most hostile countries in the world against Christians, then First and Second Peter, these two letters, they're going to seem very relevant to you to them it's it's going to be very relevant as you read but you see we should be reading this letter of first Peter as if we're reading about a warning to us today another headline I read was is the church in America prepared for harassment and persecution I'm not sure I'm not sure really where the church will stand. When the Son of Man returns, where will people's faith be? What will it look like? What will church in America here look like? I can tell you that there are many believers in some of these persecuted countries that are going to stand strong to the end. They're going to some of them go to their death. In 1 Peter 3.13 we read, And who is He who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Let me ask that question in another way. Who will harm you if you never follow or make a stand for what is good, moral, just, or right? Probably no one. Peter goes on in verse 14, he says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope, that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. We often hear verse 15 quoted, but it's often not quoted in the context of suffering or making a stand for righteousness. You see, under the threats of evildoers, and in the midst of a hostile world towards Christians, your faith, being a witness, not fearing what man will do to you, is what we're encouraged to do here. To be ready always even if things get tough, even if things get severe, will we stand? Will we continue to open our mouth for Christ? Some of the repeated words in this letter that Peter uses is the word suffer. Five times. Suffering. One time. Suffered. Six times. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Suffering for Christ. But it also gives us some encouraging repeated words. Like the word rejoice. Three times. Glory. Eleven times. And then Peter's favorite word that he uses six times in this letter. Precious. You see, Peter saw. Peter experienced the persecution, but he knew the joy. He knew, he knew how precious his faith was. He knew how precious the blood of Jesus Christ was. He knew how precious the Word of God was. Another helpful thing to do when you begin reading a book of the Bible, is to look for key verses in the the letter that you're reading. Sometimes that key verse kind of unlocks to you a little bit of understanding, greater understanding of why the person was writing. We read in 1 Peter 4.1, we might say this is a key verse in Peter's letter. Therefore, since Christ suffered... For us in the flesh, then arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. We'll be looking at these verses that I'm looking at this morning. We're gonna almost get like an overview of the whole book, all these different verses I'm pulling from this letter. And we'll look at more, them more closely as we go through it. But another key verse that we could call key verses might be 1 Peter 1.10. It says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Do you know that you is you? The grace that would come to you Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. This letter speaks specifically of suffering, but that suffering always leads to glory. It always leads to something far better. Something that we could put our hope in. You see, these prophets of old, they were looking forward to something that they would never see with their physical eyes. They would never experience it in their lifetime. But as New Testament saints, we look back to the cross, don't we? We look back to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We look back to our Savior who hung on that cross and redeemed us from our sin. We bask in this grace. We bask in the redemptive work of Christ. The completed redemptive work of Christ. It is finished we look back to our Lord's suffering on a cross. He did it for me. He did it for you. And then He was raised in glory, wasn't He? That suffering leads to glory. And it gives us such great hope, doesn't it, as Christians? Great hope in the things to come. We can learn from our Lord, and we can learn from Peter himself, that suffering for the Lord will ultimately lead to glory. Don't shy away from it. We don't like it. But in the ultimate end, you're the winner. You'll stand in glory, in your glorified state in the Lord. However we depart this world, suffering leads to glory. Paul understood this when he wrote in Romans chapter 8. When he says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You ever, you, do you like those words? Are you standing on those truths? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, peril or sword? none of these things can separate us from the love of Christ it should bring us great hope it did to the apostle paul he wrote it here to encourage you and i he says yet in all these things we be we are more than conquerors through him who loves us some of the warnings that Peter gives in this letter some of the sins that he speaks about, the exhortations that he gives us in this first letter is that you're going to be tested by fire. You're going to be exhorted to live before God our Father as obedient children. You're going to be exhorted not to conform yourselves to your former lusts as you did in your days of ignorance. You're going to be exhorted to to live in the midst of an ungodly world and that you would obey the truth. You're going to be called upon to maintain godly relationships in an ungodly world. It's going to talk about your submission to government. Oh, that's a big one right now, isn't it? Your submission to masters. Those you work for. Your submission to one another even in the marriage relationship. Husbands and wives. We're going to be exhorted to to understand that Suffering for right and wrong is something that we're called to do. Making a stance for the things that are right. Serving God for His glory. Peter's going to talk to us about. Suffering for God's glory. Submitting to God and resisting the devil are just some of the things that Peter is going to exhort us in. We're told that Peter wrote this letter in chapter 5, verse 13, that he was writing from Babylon. Now, most people don't believe that this is the literal Babylon, but that it was actually code word or figurative language for the city of Rome. You see, you would never write anything derogatory against Rome. That in itself could cost you your life. But it's very possible that Peter is giving this word Babylon in place of Rome where he was writing from. The year that Peter was writing this letter was around 64-67 to A.D. The church had been in existence, and I want you to think about this, for about 35 years. The church is brand new. It had been in existence really for a short period of time. And the early church by this time was experiencing great persecution. They were being scattered like seeds to other parts of the world. And it was at this time that Peter writes this letter. You see, Nero, the emperor of the day, was reigning during this time. And Nero was the one emperor who made a a deliberate attempt to persecute Christians. Sounds like the direction that we're going in today. Our government, the nation we're living in, making efforts, uh, doing things to try to to squelch Christians, their voice. And, And there's a lot of Christians that are doing things in the wrong way with this Because you see, our focus needs to be on the Lord. On the Gospel. On what we're called to do. Not political Christianity. Paul and Peter. They were martyred in Nero's reign. They were martyred for their faith within months of each other. First it was Paul. He was beheaded by Nero. Then it was Peter's time to suffer at the hands of Nero, and it's believed that Peter, according to church tradition, didn't want to be crucified like his Lord. And so they hung Peter on an inverted cross and crucified him upside down. Paul and his last letter in 2 Timothy 4.6. The last letter that he wrote. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Peter wrote in his second letter in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent, he saw himself as his body is living in a tent to stir you up by reminding you knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Paul was ready. Peter was ready to meet their Lord. He's wanting to encourage us that are here today, in a world today, under coming persecution, to be encouraged that we need to prepare ourselves. Jesus told Peter in John 21.17, after Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love Me? And Peter said to Him, Lord, You know all things. You know that I love You. And Jesus said to him, then Peter, feed My sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished, But when you are old, Peter, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And then we're told this, that Jesus spoke this to Peter signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. You'll be stretched out, Peter. And when he had spoken this, Jesus said to Peter, follow Me. As the Lord has called us to follow Him, to pick up our cross and follow Him. My path will not be easy, but I call upon you as My children, as My disciples, as My followers, to follow Me. Even if it's in the way of suffering. We won't get too far in this letter this morning. Look at your Bibles at verse 1. How's that for an introduction? It starts out with Peter. Peter's birth name in Hebrew was Shimon Bar Yonah. Did I say it right? Probably not. He was first recognized by Jesus as Simon. The name that Jesus actually most often used of Peter. He called him Simon. He was also known as Simon Peter. He, these two names combined 19 times in Scripture. Jesus said to Simon, the son of Jonah, you shall be called Cephas, which is his Aramaic uh, name that's found six times in the Bible. It's translated a stone. But he is most often mentioned in Scripture 159 times as Peter, or his Greek name Petros. You see, Peter was a man just like you and I until that day. He was born in A.D. 1 in a village of Bethsaida. This village was on the western coast of the Sea of Galilee. It was there that Peter was called by Jesus to follow Him and to be one of His disciples. He became a follower of Jesus at the age of 33. When did you receive Christ? How old were you when you became a follower of Christ? Peter was 33 years of age. He died a martyr's death by crucifixion at the age of 64 to 68. Somewhere in there. Which means that he went home to be with Jesus, excuse me, at the age of 62 to 67 years of age. You see, when God's done, He's done. When He's done with our life, whether we're young or whether we're old, when it's time to go home, it's time to go home, and the Lord calls us home in various ways. Peter went home and he glorified the Lord in his death. God was done. It's time to raise up someone new. He was part of Jesus' inner circle with James and John, the other two. He, revealed, he was revealed uh, by Jesus in, in, in ways that the other disciples never saw from he was Jesus revealed himself at that transfiguration to Peter, James and John. He was there when Jesus raised Jairus's daughter from the dead, Peter, James and John. They were there in the garden, and they went a little further into the garden, Peter, James and John, Peter He had walked very close and had some real instructions and revelations from our Lord. Peter was often that spokesperson for the rest of the disciples. He's the one that led the discussion in Acts chapter 1. When they were trying to find a replacement for Judas Iscariot. And they chose Matthias. He stood before the Sanhedrin. And He was noted by them as an unlearned man. You see, God uses whomever He wishes. He likes to take the weak things, the foolish things. He likes to take you and I and show His power through our lives. You see, God is glorified in vessels that are dependent upon Him for everything. Peter was the one that says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He would later be called an apostle. This fisherman. A fisher of fish now became a fisher of men. A transformed life. Like your life that's been transformed from what it was to what it is now. And hopefully, there's been big change. He was called an apostle. First a disciple, a learner, and, and now an apostle, one who is sent out on a mission. Peter was the apostle to the Jews like Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. These were two of the, the, the most significant figures that we have in our Bible in the New Testament. Paul and Peter. You see, God had a plan for these two men. But when God was done with them, it was time to come home. And He allowed both of them shortly, within a short span of time, to be taken home to be with Him. Martyred for their faith. Peter, the beloved fisherman. An apostle. One sent out. You see, all of us here, are missionaries, did you know that? We've all been sent out. And so to speak, it could be just in your city that you live. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've been sent to another country. But we're all missionaries in our own right. We're called. We've been sent out, so to speak, by our Lord and the Great Commission. We may not be called an apostle, but we are messengers of Jesus Christ. We're called to go out in a world that's dying. We're called to go out with a message that can give them life, give them forgiveness, and give them hope. It doesn't rest upon just the evangelist. It doesn't rest upon the church leaders. It doesn't rest upon all of us to be those witnesses for Christ. If the church would just get that, then I think we'll go home to be with the Lord. If we would just get that, go out and make disciples. Go preach the Word. Go tell them about Me. God, would You ignite a fire within our hearts even this morning give me a zeal to open my mouth for you peter was writing this this letter to fellow believers the ones who had been scattered he addresses them here as pilgrims he he calls them pilgrims Because that's the way that he saw them. But he also wanted them to see themselves as pilgrims. Do you see yourself that way? As a pilgrim? Do you see yourself as being here in this world on a temporary basis? That you're just, this residence here is not your home. We're just here for a period of time. We're pilgrims passing through. It's a temporary residence. We're in a sense aliens. He refers to them as pilgrims of the dispersion. And when we think of the dispersion, we think of Jews. And I believe that it was These were Jews that were scattered abroad. They were scattered through persecution. We read that in Acts chapter 8. They were scattered through the regions of Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. All this region, these regions, these areas, the churches that were planted there by the Apostle Paul. Here's Peter writing letters to them of encouragement and exhorting them to steady on in the face of persecution and suffering. I want to remind you of a quote that I shared, I think it was last week, by A. W. Tozer. We must meet the uncertainties of this world with the certainty of the world to come. I love that. The uncertainties of this world with the certainties of the world to come. You're a pilgrim passing through. But I also believe that Peter here is addressing Jews and Gentiles in these churches. We read in chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now, have obtained mercy. Sounds very similar to what Paul wrote in Ephesians concerning Jew and Gentile becoming one. Look what God has done. Look what He's doing in our lives as Gentile believers. And bringing us together as one. Writing a letter to Jew and Gentile in in these churches. Did you know that the persecution of Jew and Gentile, that that persecution came not just from the government, not just from the authorities. It came from Jews also that didn't like this new found Messiah, Jesus, those followers of Christ. Persecution came from within. Just like persecution will come from within in your own homes, your own families. Peter, he gives these believers the reason for their hope. He gives them the, the reason for their hope and the confidence that they can have. In verse 2, he says, Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Can you have any better introduction than that? That in itself is a mouthful. I mean, that's a study in itself. To look at that hope that we have in Christ. Do you think these believers in these churches that were under great persecution needed that encouragement? Do we need that encouragement this morning? Do you have the confidence of what I just read in verse 2, that that's enough to carry you through the trials and tribulations and the sufferings of this life. You're the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The knowledge of your salvation, I wrote, becomes a gift to those who understand how great it is, it becomes a gift to you. If you can even start and begin to grasp that redemptive work in your life. You see, the knowledge of our salvation is what gives us great hope. It gives us comfort and peace and joy in the midst of trials and tribulations and suffering. Peter, in these opening words, I think, is wanting to encourage and strengthen the believers in these churches with these words. We're the elect, we're chosen by the Father according to the the foreknowledge of God the Father. This whole issue of election and free will always gets people stirred up to be chosen by God. Paul said in Ephesians 1-4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. You see, a God that knows everything, a God that chooses and knows and has all knowledge of all things, Even in that, our election is our great confidence and our great assurance and should bring great hope to you and I. Just think of that thought. You have been chosen. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then He chose you before the very foundations of the world. Chosen by the Father. I hope we all count it a privilege. Paul, he understood this. He wrote about it, but I can tell you this, I think that Paul even grappled with having the ability to grab hold of how free will and, and man's responsibility could work together, but I see both taught in Scripture. We have a responsibility to respond to the Holy Spirit. When the Lord called you, you had a responsibility to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm humbled over the thought that God chose me. But I'm also thankful that He sent the Holy Spirit into my life that drew me to Himself. He convicted me of my sin. John wrote in... John 16:7, speaking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, Jesus tells His disciples. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin. And of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in a world that is without Christ. It's the work of God's Spirit. Peter says in verse 2, in sanctification of the Spirit, He set you apart the day you put your faith in Him. He started that work by His Holy Spirit and set you apart for His use and now He continues to set you apart for His use by the work of His Holy Spirit in your life. That's that sanctification in your life on a daily basis. He says, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe the obedience that he's speaking of here is that obedience that you had the day you said yes to Jesus Christ. You see, you can be disobedient to the Gospel. When you're disobedient to the Gospel, it's because you reject the Gospel. When you're obedient to the Gospel, you say, I need that salvation. I need that redemptive work of... I need that forgiveness of sins for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, sprinkling speaks of purification. You've been purified by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. On that cross, when He shed that blood for you, for me, He purified you. He made you holy. He calls you a saint, a holy one. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated His own love towards us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And then, and we'll close with this, Peter says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Peter, like Paul, He starts his letter with grace and he continues to speak of this grace in all five chapters of this letter. How much of it do we need? On a daily basis? How much of God's grace have you needed today already? Peter's going to bring it up five times in all five chapters. But I want to say this, that first we have to take on grace, understand grace, receive grace, grow in grace before we really experience the peace of God. you got to understand His grace. You need it more in your life. You need to have an understanding of it in a greater way. You need to apply it to your life. You need to walk in grace. You need to know grace. And then you can experience the peace of God. It can be multiplied to you. Grace comes first and peace will follow. We all need to grab hold of it. My prayer is that we leave today grabbing hold of the truths that we just read and and just a couple verses. That we grab hold of this great salvation that we have. That we grab hold of the grace of God in our life. The peace that He wants that we would experience God's grace and peace in our lives this week. Peter says grace and peace and not just that, but let it be multiplied in your life. Next week, Peter's going to go on and he's going to even give us more reason. More reason to have hope and confidence in the midst of persecution and suffering. He's going, to, he's going to give us a whole list about how great your salvation is. And so, read ahead. Read your Bibles. Read ahead. Get into Peter. Read through the five chat. It won't take you long. Just read ahead. Familiarize yourself with it so that when I stand here next week and teach you and go, yeah, I read that. Yeah, that was cool. The Lord spoke to me in that. And you'll get so much more out of these letters. And so, let's have... Uh, Kyle, come up. I apologize. I know I kept you over today, but you're all right with that. I think nobody said. Let's, uh, let's all stand. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you uh, for the words that we read this morning. Lord, these are precious words. They give us so much hope. They give us so much confidence that we can have in You. Lord, I pray that You would go before us this week. That we would be ready to give an answer to every man every woman that asks us the reason of the hope that's within us. God, would you give us wisdom, discernment, give us opportunity, give us divine appointments. Let us make good use of the days that we're living in us. Lord, would you prepare us for what's to come. That we'd be watchful and ready. That we would stand before You unashamed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we thank You for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.